Today I welcome Suzette and David, founders at Yellow Car, an experience agency for schools. In this episode, we discuss the important role experience strategy has for independent schools using intentional personalization, redefining surveys with the felt experience indicator, and we weigh up AI versus humans to aid the experience. I want to talk about Yellow Car because Suzette and David, you are the co-founders of Yellow Car. What is Yellow Car and why did you set it up? Oh, so Yellow Car is an experience strategy firm for school leaders and their teams to intentionally design the experience for their parents, their students and their employees. We set it up in a way because we've been working for many years together in an international school ourselves. We always knew that when it was the right time to stop, we would know. And I guess we just felt it was the right time. Part of what we were doing already working in a school is having this understanding that we were very fortunate to have certain resources available to us and the possibility to actually share that with others, giving ourselves a moment to reflect and to learn from some things that we we're doing. And I think when we realized that it was the right time to move on, it was just how can we amplify that even further and help schools at a deeper level? So I guess that was the heart of why we started Yellow Car. And I think stepping away from being right in a school and getting a broader helicopter view, looking at different industries, it's how can we now help other schools around the world to look through that lens of experience? Yeah, intentionally design that journey for our different community members. Do schools understand experience strategy? I mean, David, schools get certain things, but when you start talking about experience, how have you found going and selling experience? It's a great question. And I think one of the things that we've often done is to say, it's a bit like a hotel and it's a bit like Ikea. And so the way we describe that is often, if you think about the difference between a good hotel and a great hotel, a great hotel grabs you because somehow it's frictionless. That whole experience is one where you just glide almost through the check-in and up to your room and everything's there. And the experience feels different. One of the things that we know makes that difference is that a great hotel has been very intentional about the way they've designed each aspect of that experience. When we think of IKEA, in a way, we often think about that long journey through the store to find our wardrobe, and maybe it's in stock and maybe it's not. And IKEA is a kind of good metaphor for in a sense, the journey that we're all on, even through our schools, and there's highs and lows. And one of the things that IKEA teaches us is that, well, you may have experienced yourself, there's a hot dog at the end, and it's 50 cents. And if you've got kids like all of us, I think, you know, that's the cheap meal. I mean, it brings a smile to our face. So one of the things about IKEA is that hot dog has been placed there very intentionally, someone has designed that. And so when we talk to schools about experience strategy, what we're doing is taking a whole body of work that is quite common now in hospitality, healthcare, retail, corporate life, etc., but not really been something that we talk about in schools. And I think what we're saying is the families, the students, the employees in our schools, they're also on a journey. And it has highs and lows also like IKEA. And our job as school leaders is to think about how can we design that journey to be coherent, to be friction-free, 
to be engaging and to have these moments of surprise and delight, a little bit like the IKEA hot dog at the end. And that the journeys that we will remember, the schools that will stand out are those that have been more intentional. And so I guess what we're finding actually in a very good way, having started this journey ourselves with Yellow Car, is that we have significant engagement with schools all over the world who are beginning to see. And actually, there's a language, if you look at LinkedIn and some of the community pages that we're running, is that people are talking more and more about the importance of designing this experience. So I think it's coming. And I think that there are, in an increasingly competitive environment, there's more and more talk about what can we do beyond some of those more traditional ways of marketing our schools, for example. It is funny because I actually set up Interactive Schools 18 years ago based on this premise as I was paying a lot of money. I was looking out for my eldest daughter at the time, a prep school in the UK. And I kind of went in there. I liked the place, but I was just wholly disappointed by the experience that I had. I just thought, you know, this is a high-end premium product and I was getting none of it. And that actually drove me to set up Interactive Schools from a creative marketing point of view. It wasn't down the experience, but it was the sense. And actually, the longer I've got down this journey... It's all become about intentional, hasn't it? About how do you make people feel? Because if you make them feel, their head almost kicks in secondary. Like it's that human side of, you know, if you make me feel, my heart owns the stage. Make me think, my heart gets pushed out. And so it's a hard friction between kind of that experience feel and that head kind of functional. What do I need to know? How have you navigated that? And how do you balance the head and the heart? We often talk about the layers of an experience. So we talk about foundations, improvements and moments. So if we take again that idea of the difference between a good hotel and a great hotel, the foundations are pretty much your basics, the basics you need to put in place. In a hotel, that would be your bed, a warm shower, a clean room. In schools, that's not any different. So you want to make sure that, as David mentioned earlier, that you want to make that as friction-free as possible. So do you have the right systems in place? Is your story just integrated and coherent throughout the journey? So what you're telling on your website, is that in line with what's being told by the person in the admissions office? And is that the actual experience that you're having when you're on school? Once you have those foundations in place, you can layer that with improvements to further enhance that experience. So say you start differentiate according to different personas. And then ultimately, going back to David's hot dog moment, you have these moments that spark something that spark wonder joy or surprise. And that's really hitting that intangible, that feeling that we were talking about. So the more we are able to make that journey by itself as integrated and coherent as possible, the more we allow for our families to feel something positive when they come and visit us. And it's coming back to that idea of intentionality, right? So if we leave it to chance, the possibility of there being a gap in that experience and therefore you having a negative feeling is significantly higher than when we are intentional about making sure that those foundations are covered. There's two kind of prompts that we might often use with people to help them think about this. If you think about a stakeholder, maybe let's say parents that are during the admissions phase, first of all, you could think, what do you want the person to think, feel or do? And if you answer that question, you can start designing something that actually answers those questions. Another way of thinking about it is, and this is common language within the experience strategy, is think about the job to be done. So at every stage, I mean, we might think about a website. A website has a job to be done, and we have to be very clear on what that job is and not think about a website as 
let's just throw every single document and strapline and slogan and photo that we've got and pour it into 30,000 pages. Because then we've lost sight of what is that foundational job that a website has to do. This is where that clarity and that focus is often some of the things that we're trying to bring to schools. It's then thinking about how can you start creating, for example, that website with the user in mind. And that means that you have, of course, a very different journey if you're a prospective family versus a prospective employee. It is understanding the language that we need to use. So as schools, we are notorious for using educational cliches where we're talking about educating the whole child, a holistic education. Yeah. We're all saying we're an international community, but what does that actually mean in the context of that particular school? And are we able to articulate for a family what they can expect and what that experience is like when they come to the school right on that first page on the website? And are we clear on the journey that they need to take from getting on your website for the very first time to getting to the next step, which is for most of us, either applying for a job if it's a prospective employee or connecting with the admissions office. And then that's where you take the experience. You're right, that everything has a purpose, right? What is the point? So that has its job. The website gives you that lead. You look at connecting everything, right? From the moment someone might be in your marketplace and in the consider phase, they come into the inquiry that the website's done its job. So you look at the intention. I love that word, by the way, because I think it's really important that it's not done on chance or hope. And I think a lot of marketing strategy are based on hope. Right, they throw everything at it, as David said, whether it's content, even in social platforms, it's just noise. They're just going to somehow get in. And if they get in, hit them with a process. And you talk about experience piece. So is that where you then look at holistically everything past that point and around it to ensure that that journey that that person's on ends yeah. up at the next stage? Yeah, and it is understanding the correlation between the way we work as teams, the way we set up ourselves. And what that means on the user experience side. There's great things happening in schools. There's magnificent websites, great marketing professionals, admissions professionals. Often we tend to work in silos. That means that creating a great website at one end, the admissions officer might be focusing on completely different points or using just generally different language or different terms when they are meeting with their families. It is thinking about how can we work in more integrated ways with one another to ultimately lead to that more integrated experience. So if we imagine that a family is on a journey through our school, that we've broken that journey down into six different stages. We call that the life cycle of school experience. Your website is right that first stage. That's that stage of attraction where a family is looking for a school for their child. They're looking at reviews. They're checking out websites. And we need to understand where that website fits within the larger journey to understand the job to be done as well. And to make sure that that is linked to all other stages mm. of that journey for our families. Yeah. And I think this is where often people ask us, well, so who are we talking to when we go and speak to a school or work and kind of build a relationship partnership supporting a school? And often it's the head of school or maybe even the board. Because I think one of the things we sometimes say to boards are you have responsibilities as a board, as a trustee. And you have to look after financial assets. You have to look after the capital assets, the buildings. But you also have to look after the experience. As a head of school, you are the conductor of an orchestra that is creating an experience every day. And so we have to look at that from a very holistic point of view and think about what are the systems and structures that are going to make that a powerful experience. And 
some of the things that we've learned along the way is, for example, the need to build tools. So we built something called the School Experience Audit that actually can measure at different stages what is likely to be happening in that stage so that we can then help a school think about where do they need to put their focus in terms of upgrading the experience or making it more engaging in some way at a particular stage. I mean, you also talk a lot about looking beyond the net promoter scores, traditional school surveys. Suzette, what is this felt experience indicator and how does it measure parental experience? So the felt experience indicator is a framework that we are developing to measure what the actual experience is that families are experiencing at different stages of that life cycle. And what that is doing is in a way, stepping away from our usual satisfaction survey. So rather than asking your questions around how satisfied are you with our bus service? Does your child like our food? Is starting to ask different types of questions around six domains that we've identified. So that's looking at uh, happiness, connection, understanding, gratitude, confidence, and belonging. And it's just starting to look at different questions. So if you take the idea of asking a parent about happiness, it is, can we start understanding what the wavelength of happiness is in a school all the way from kindergarten to grade 12? Are there uh, highs in that experience? Are there lows? Is happiness increasing over time or are there particular dips that we need to be mindful of? Why this is becoming interesting for schools is that it's taking us beyond a net promoter score is something that many schools will. I mean, if we go shopping these days, you can't get home before you've got that email that says, would you recommend us to others? And I think the reality is kind of either we delete immediately or we kind of know the game and we play the game because we know if we give them a nine or a 10, then they're going to be happy, et cetera. The other thing we notice about many surveys is it's very one dimensional. It doesn't really help the person who's replying to the questions. And so the felt experience indicator is actually a way of saying, we need to be clear about how we define this experience. We want people in schools to be happy, to feel like they belong, to feel connected. So let's measure some of those things in language that people understand rather than educational cliche, and then provide parents, students, employees with this opportunity to really reflect on where they are in order to help them move forward. So we're piloting this with a number of schools around the world right now. And it's already very interesting for us to see, Suzette mentioned that wavelength of happiness. We're now working with schools where we can actually show to a school the experience of students in your school when it comes to happiness Maybe there's a dip in grade seven. Use AI and machine learning to understand what some of the sentiment might be as we collect all of the comments about what's going on. And I think this is where, for us, we're excited because we talk about experience and it can sometimes feel a little bit fluffy about, you know, we're just wanting everyone to have a good experience. What this does is actually take it to, we can measure this and use it as a key part of our own business operations and marketing strategy and our own understanding of whether the school is delivering on its promise. Being able to layer that with qualitative data that where we were asking specific questions about progression of the experience, so questions around expectations, what are the highs and lows, what are the moments that you remember? If you can layer that, then you leave it open to whoever is answering, whether that's a student or a parent, to uncover maybe some of those themes that we might not uncover through the typical 
survey tools that we might be using, including the MPS. The thing that swings to mind around doing felt experience is it's obviously human related and we're very unpredictable. And also we're impacted and affected by environment, mood, feeling, events. How do you, I suppose, ensure that the quality of the data, because if you went and interviewed, I suppose, did a felt indicator experience students about to take exams, I'm pretty sure that at that moment in time, they're probably not going to give you the, how they probably felt the last 12 years, whatever it's going to be. How do you, I suppose, use environmental other kind of factors to make sure the data is useful? It's a great question. And I think we often talk about, you know, the importance of triangulating data with other things that we know. So we're not saying that this tool is so precise that it can analyze and give a picture of everything that's happening. But what it can do is maybe open up new conversations. So let's take a school that we're working with right now where we're seeing many of these attributes, these dimensions increasing over time for students. And then there is, as you say, a dip in grade 12. What we're seeing as we look at that data is we're asking ourselves a question to put what you're saying in another way. The question is, is that historical? So in other words, is that because we're seeing that dip because those are maybe the last generation of students coming, having experienced COVID, high school blues, et cetera, and it has that contextual explanation? Or is it structural? So in other words, are we always going to see a dip because 12, grade 12 is just a little bit more difficult. It's more stressful. You've got exams, you've got thinking about life without your parents doing a washing and all those other stresses that come with being a 12th grader. What this does is open up a conversation and, and allows us or the school to make, then go into conversation with students to say, help us understand if this is what the data is saying, help us understand these results. And so we're beginning to set up conversations with students and parents, and it will be in the future with employees, where we can triangulate some of this data that we're collecting on one side. And then say we're seeing, for example, in another school that there's a significant dip in happiness levels in grade four. And that is something where we're just saying, let's be curious about what is that telling us about what's happening in grade four? Do we know something else about grade four? Maybe there's been teacher transition recently. Maybe they're in a portable classroom because there, there was a leak. We don't know what that environmental issue is, but we can begin to open up that conversation. And it's about listening to that experience. I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. It's interesting you talked about AI briefly. AI and technology and humans, I'm always battling with. I love technology, but I also know that we have to be human-led and technology is a lever. Using AI and technology for interpreting data and using it in the way that obviously ChatGPT and other open AI products are is great for the data side. What about personalization and experience? What are your thoughts and how does that fit in? There's lots of firms, lots of people talking about using AI for automation and personalization. But can that really give a human experience? I think ultimately what technology will do is help us with taking the friction out of some of the experience we might be having. So we might be able to smoothen the experience. But we often talk about, so when we're thinking about moments, 
and the moments that we create for families for them to have that moment of surprise, wonder, or joy. Often when we ask schools to think about those moments, we immediately go to big events, something like a graduation or the reality is some of the most profound moments are actually the ones of human connection. They are when we're kind to one another. As we talked about right at the beginning, it's how you're feeling when you visit a place. So that means if you are visiting a campus and the people passing by are saying hello and are smiling, that by itself creates a significantly better experience than receiving a personalized email. It's often it's the small things, actually the human aspects of the experience that we are creating that will have a lasting impact. I'm also going just to something outside of schools. You know, I think most of us, let's say we have an issue with, uh, we've lost our bank card or something like that. We phone a bank and someone picks up from the other side of the world. And, and actually then you realize that it's not even a person, it's some kind of chatbot or whatever. And you're given four or five options and it's not what you want. And you always have to wait for the last one and press zero. And at the end of the day, you're in this kind of endless loop. And I think one of the things we're seeing, and I've been listening quite a lot recently to podcasts about AI and customer service. And one of the things we're seeing is we've been in an era for quite a long time of customer service that is using machines that is increasing the level of friction that we feel. We're just using up, throwing money down the drain because we're calling that number and we're not getting the answer we want. What they're saying actually is very interesting is that in the next 12 months, there are a whole number of companies out there who are actually taking this to another level that we've not seen before. But they're making a clear distinction between the difference between simple and complex tasks. So that there are a whole number of simple tasks that we should be able to do in a much more friction-free environment that AI is going to help us with. And it's going to be more efficient and more intuitive. And that makes me think, going back to schools, let's take admissions. There are a lot of things that we do in admissions that do not need to be done by humans. If we were able to take aspects of the application process, if we were to take the human energy that we put into that and deliver it somewhere else, that's where I think we can have a much more personalized and human-centric admissions experience because our admissions teams are going to have a lot more time to be able to think about you know, being human rather than being paper administrators or data administrators. Yeah, and I really hope it goes that way. Yeah, I suppose I'm going sort of frustrated with the industry because it becomes a process and you talk about a considered purchase. I'm not buying a TV, I'm giving you a human. And, you know, and I'm spending a lot of money because I really want that human to thrive and I love that human I'm going to give you. And so that's where I find technology to me can make processes efficient, but it can't drive that human connection, right? I can drive very complex, clever content personalization based on maybe some prompts that you gave me, maybe through a website experience. People know that what you're giving me is computer generated. There's tone, there's language. And I think schools are getting it, but they're still also, I think, believe that there's a silver bullet and they, because they're overworked and inefficient, is that they keep buying technology. So they truly believe it's going to make a difference and it's going to make their job better and easier. So again, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I mean, for me, it comes back to if I walk into a hotel, I walk up to the desk and somehow in that first few seconds, I'm told, good afternoon, Dr. Willows, we've been expecting you. Welcome back. You were last here in November. It's such simple things. It's using the person's name, making them feel as though 
they've been expected. That's for me, personalization. It's understanding we were in a hotel in Vietnam recently with my wife and it was her birthday when we went down to breakfast. And I don't know how they'd done this, maybe from the passport. They were all congratulating my wife on her birthday in the breakfast room. And I was thinking that's personalization because it has shown that there is effort that has been made, something that was not essential, but actually gave us a moment of delight and surprise. And that's experience. For that reason, we remember that hotel maybe more than others. And this is where schools, as you're absolutely right, can feel that technology is going to solve their issues. When you focus on experience, often what happens is you're simplifying processes to the point where you don't need so much complexity. You're really focusing down on how do I really listen to the person that is in front of me and treat them as humans and make them feel like they're very special to us. It makes me think of the IKEA exercise that we do often in our workshops. Ask them to redesign one or the whole IKEA journey. So if you think about that map of the highs and lows and the hot dog at the end, and there's a few themes that come out of that and technology accelerators and visualization and all of that are themes that are appearing over and over again. Every single group will say, we still want to see a person at the end. So whether that is you somehow still need that human touch. So even if something like IKEA, which for many people is a very painful process to go through, and we can think about how we can make that as smooth as possible, we still want to have a human interaction somewhere in there. And I think that will be, I mean, for schools, all the same. So for schools that are listening, what does an engagement look like with you guys? So they would have listened. I mean, it's exciting what you're doing in this space. What is a typical engagement? Is it the same for all the schools because you have a framework and a model that works and successful? So we have different ways in which people can connect because we are also aware that not everyone has the same resources. So we have an online community at yellowcard.io where we have already more than 600 people working in and with schools, connecting with one another, all sorts of resources on their monthly inspiration workshops. So it's a great way for people to meet other people in a similar field, to be inspired, to share their wins. Then we also have our Higuara Academy. This is when we are speaking at different conferences. So have a look at our website and see where we will be in the coming few months. And then, of course, on the consultancy side, we are working with a number on schools on bespoke solutions. And that can go anywhere from just generally having an understanding of deeper understanding of what experience strategy is and how that can be applied in your school on a macro level. Or if they are particular focus, so whether that is, I mean, we've talked a bit, for example, about the admissions journey, we work with schools in capacity as well. And I think it's fair to say that we're very conscious that as an experience strategy firm, we're very particular about the experience that we provide to our clients. And we have to design that and we have to design that in ways that are friction free. So yes, there's a level of personalization there. And often, for example, when we begin that conversation with someone who's interested, the first thing we do is say, here's a menu of things that we can look at and create something together and look at the pieces that will connect. So for us, it's what we've learned through the time that we've been being yellow car is every school is different. Every school is a different place in their journey. And we will try and do two things. We'll try and connect in ways that are meaningful. But we'll also say that if they're looking for something that we really can't provide, we'll also be very clear that that's kind of a little bit beyond 
the scope of what we do. It's brilliant to see the success that you two have gained since you launched. I'm always in admiration of anybody who starts their own business. It's a nervous but exciting step and you're starting to see the success I really truly believe that you deserve. I'm going to ask you to just look into your crystal balls. I ask everybody on the show what the future of education will look like in 2050. You have experience in schools, you're trying to change the way schools view things. But if you were to look at education, what's going to stay, what's going to be different? Will we have schools? So it's very interesting. And you probably know a few years ago, OECD, a bit like Shell back in the day, they did some scenario planning. And one of the things they said is, what are the kind of scenarios of the future of school, the future of education, if we look to 2050? What was very interesting about that, particularly the first report, which I think was in 2001, is that they provided four scenarios. If you look at their scenarios, only one of those scenarios actually suggests that school will have any relevance at all. And that in the other three scenarios of the future, this is a major research institute, the other three scenarios really saw the decreasing relevance of school in any form by that time. Now, we may disagree or agree with that, but I think what this is showing us, and having been in international education over the last 20 years, we are seeing significant shifts in the business model of an international school, for example. And I think independent schools are not too different. One of the things that I'll often say to people is, if you think that an international school, that concept really didn't exist 100 years ago. So one of the things we can deduce is in 100 years, we cannot in any way assume that there will be something called international education. So one of the things that we have to do is to think about what might that be and where will that relevance be? And I think what we might suggest in this shorter term, without getting too depressed about it, is to say what we do feel is that the school of the future is one which is much more intentional and focused on an experience. And the experience is not just, let's just get kids through their IB or A-levels and into university, but the experience is actually childhood. And we need to develop schools to be places of flourishing for childhood. I know that we talk about our schools in positive ways, but I'm wondering whether that will become more of a focus as we move forward. I hope so. And that just means getting rid of assessments in their format because they're the killers of that model because everyone's trying to unlock the next stage of the game. Well, what about you, Suzette? I mean, 2050, what would the school look like for you? We've looked at this study together. And one thing is for sure, we cannot assume that it is going to be what it is today. And I think the key is starting with surfacing some of the assumptions that we're currently making about our schools and see how that is benefiting some, but equally not benefiting others. I love reflecting. We had a conversation about this yesterday. So Dave is great at looking at the future and I'm very good at looking back and see what can we learn from that. I think COVID in many ways was a way for us where all of a sudden we were forced to completely think differently about the way we were used to school. And some of us adjusted very quickly and did very well. There's very few schools, and so far I haven't really heard one, that when we came out of the pandemic, that we really took a moment to reflect on what were some of the things that were very good during the pandemic that we want to keep? What are some of the things we want to ditch? And equally pre-pandemic. And I think if we are starting to reflect on some of these things, maybe at least we have some of the first steps 
that we can take towards looking at school through a slightly different lens and be more intentional about the different student profiles we have in front of us that is stepping away from the typical pathways that we are currently providing for our students. You can connect with me on Twitter, Instagram and via LinkedIn. Remember, keep inspiring schools. We need more future school thinking now.